Good morning. It's good to see everyone this morning, and it's a cool morning. Tonight we have a fellowship dinner has already been spoken to you, and then we'll have a congregational meeting, and I just want to emphasize to our members that this is our annual congregational meeting, and so you need to be here for that, and if you can, make every effort to do that. If you're a visitor and you're coming to our church, you are welcome to join us in that. You see what this church is all about, how we do things, and all that begins at 5 p.m., It's been customary for me at that particular meeting to do a state of the church address. I I borrowed that from another pastor I heard do that, and he borrowed it from the federal government. And so I thought, wow, you know, that's uh, state of the union. Well, you know, it's... uh, it really is, says exactly what we want to do in a time like that is to talk about the church and where things are in the church and things that have happened, reflections in the past, reflections for the future, things like that. Also, at that time, I usually will give an exhortation from Scripture on some area, that different areas that God uh, would want us and teach us how to conduct ourselves in the body of Christ, uh, the importance of the church. Well, I'm going to do that this morning. I'm going to do that exhortation from Scripture this morning. That is the reason for the title of today's message, Why Grace Church Matters. Um, Why does the local church matter? And this is what I want to spend our time on. This will tie into this evening somewhat, but the... I finished 1 Corinthians last week. Next week will be in 1 Peter. This was just a great time to come before you and uh, say some things about the local church and particularly our body of believers here at Grace Church. And to understand why God, now this is important, why God considers the local church vital to your life as a Christian. Listen, the church has priority in the heart of God. The church is a priority to God. Is it your priority? Is it your priority? It is his priority. He gave his life for it. He died for it. He indwells it. He lives in us. He brings us together. We are united to him in the local church, in the body of Christ. The church matters. Grace Church matters. And that is what I want to say to you this morning. Does it matter to you? That's my question. To you watching us by live stream, same question. Does it matter? And I'm going to give you four reasons. Four reasons why I believe our church or any like-minded church matters. There's no club or there's no institution that can take the place of the church. I don't care what clubs you belong to, what institutions you belong to, what organizations you belong to. I don't care how good your resume looks with all those things. Those things are not more important than the church. They're not. Well, why? Why? What would be be one reason? Well, one reason is because there's not a place on the planet that has the authoritative message that has, been trusted, that has been entrusted to the church. You will not hear an authoritative message anywhere else on the planet because they don't have the authority of God's word. That is where the authority comes from. I'm not, my, I'm not the authority. God's word is the authority. And the only place you hear the authority of scripture is in the church. You're not gonna hear it anywhere else. You're not. And any true church out there that preaches the word is going to be 
proclaiming an authoritative word. How do you answer the question when people ask it? Where do you go when you die? Do you just, does it just all end there? Is there life after death? Those are questions people are asking. Those are real life questions people are asking. And you get various opinions on that. Get that. You get various opinions on that because most people don't know. Most people are just guessing. Most people are just looking for answers and they don't, can't find them. But see, we say, no, the Bible is the Word of God, and it speaks with His divine authority. It is God-breathed. God breathed out words, and it was controlled and superintended by Him in His writing as it was written. And it has all authority in the universe. And so when, when I stand up here and speak His words, when I speak the Bible, I'm speaking His words. This is the voice of God in written form. This is the voice of God in written form. Nobody else has this on the planet but the church, the local church. And it's authoritative because it's from God. He is the authority. We live in a world filled with lies, folks. We live in a world filled with lies. A world, a world where people are being deceived. And the church that upholds this book is speaking the truth, is speaking truth. And it's only the church that does that. Thy word is truth. You've seen the picture or the, the plaque or the scripture in the, our foyer. It says the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. It doesn't matter what the prevailing views of society are. This is the authority, not the views of society. It's revealed truth, and we must cling to it. You can take, the world has changed its opinion on so many moral issues, homosexuality and same-sex marriage and all of those things. I don't care what the world says. It does not matter what the world says. God has not changed his mind. God has not changed his mind. The world may change. Culture may change. But God has not. And you will not hear this anywhere else but the local church. You will not hear anyone say this but the local church who stands on the authority of God's word. And the reason we don't change is because Scripture is our authority. And the Lord says, I change not. I change, you change, everything, everything around us changed, but God does not change. And God's opinion has not changed on if, and if you don't look to this as authority, you will subject yourself to all the whims of society, of the world, all the philosophies of the world. If you do not cling to this, you are just putting yourself out there to be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. And we can't do that. We can't give in to the compromising that's going on around us. And we can't give in to the uh, twisting of the scriptures to accommodate the culture. The local church that is true to the word speaks with authority. Nobody else does that. Why is Grace Church and any other local church important? And why do they matter? Because they speak with authority when they speak from this book. And, and you know, it might lead to awkward disagreements with family members when you hold and cling to the word. 
It might, hold, it might bring about some awkward things with government and friends, but we still cling to it. The greatest argument for the authority of Scripture is found with uh, Jesus. Jesus always looked to the Scripture. He always have, would say, have you not read or it is written? Jesus was always looking to the Scripture. I mean, it's almost like that's all he talked about was the Scripture. He constantly referring back to the Old Testament. In John chapter 10, defending his deity, Scripture cannot be broken, he says. Scripture cannot be annulled, he says. Scripture cannot be invalidated, he says. It's God's Word, and it carries God's stamp of authority, and you don't change it. When he was tempted by Satan in the wilderness... All the temptations, Jesus responded with Scripture. It is written. It is written. This carries authority. And Jesus looked to it as authority, as authoritative. When Jesus was asked a question about marriage and divorce and remarriage, a controversial topic even then, Jesus goes back to the Scripture. It is written. Have you not read? Look at Genesis, all the way back there. He says, It's not your debating your rabbi opinions. It's the word of God. Luke 24, 44. Now he said to them, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. This is Jesus on the road to Emmaus. And he's saying, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was with you that all the things that are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Those were the major divisions of the Old Testament. He accepted all of it. And see, the reason I'm addressing the authority of the Bible in this occasion of our congregational meeting is because just to remind us that the church is the only organization that's been entrusted with this to do this. Why did I just go two years through 1 Corinthians verse by verse? Prior to that, Hebrews. Prior to that, Oh, excuse me, prior to that, Luke, prior to that, Hebrews. Then now we're going to do 1 Peter next week. Why? Because it's God-breathed words. And every word of it has authority. 1 Timothy 3, 14 through 15. I am writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. But in case I'm delayed, I write so that you will know how to conduct yourself in the household of God, which is the living church of the living God. Notice this, the pillar and support of the truth. A pillar holds up something. We are to hold up the truth. Sadly, a lot of churches don't do that. A lot of places that call themselves churches don't hold up the the truth. They hold up worldly philosophies, man's ideas, pragmatism, but they don't hold up the truth. That is what the church is to do. To support and hold up the truth. Proclaim the truth. If you're looking for the answer to the most meaningful questions in life, you look to the place that has authority. Why was I created? Why was I put here? What is the purpose of life? How do I have a relationship with God? How do I know I'm right with God? What kind of person should I marry? How should I treat my wife? How should I raise my children? I look to a place of authority. Otherwise, you're just going to get the whims of men, theories, a new one on the horizon all the time. They can only be answered in the word of God.
And I'm sad to say that I believe a lot of Christians would say, I, I believe in the errancy of the Bible. But in reality, it has no authority in their life. They would not say this, but they look at life through the lens of the world rather than the lens of Scripture. And they interpret all the events of life through the lens of the world and not the Scripture. And the world carries more authority, and what's going on in the world has more authority than what the Scripture says. So it's easy to say, I'm a Christian, I believe the Bible is the Word of God, and God inspired every word of it and all of that, and to live like you don't believe anything about it and has no bearing on your life whatsoever. Worldly ideas and thinking are very much, we're always warned about that. We're always warned about conforming our thinking to Scripture, always warned about conforming our thinking to the Word of God and not to the world. That is your greatest danger as a Christian. The world wants to tug at you and pull you away and, and to neutralize you and to make you ineffective and miserable and foolish and sinful. But the Word of God says don't base your life on speculations. Don't base your life on theories and opinions and guesswork. You need something conclusive. You need something authoritative, and that's the Word of God. Matthew 7, 24 through 27, you know this passage. You can turn there if you want, but you don't need to. Therefore, if you hear these words of mine and you act on them, you may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. You've sung this song. The rain fell, this is 724 of Matthew, the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and slammed against that house and yet it did not fall for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine does not act, and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell. One house is built on the shifting sands of human opinion, the shifting sands of the philosophies of this world, the storms come, judgment comes, and it doesn't stand. Only the house that's built on the solid foundation of the Word of God stands. You will be spared judgment when you trust in the truthfulness of His Word. The people who build their lives on the sand see no purpose in being saved. They see no purpose in trusting in Jesus or believing in the Bible, they just base their lives on the shifting sands and ideologies of the world. There's churches that aren't faithful. Some of you have left those churches to come here. Faithful, there's churches that are church in name only. Churches that once were biblically sound and deviated. That's always a temptation you feel pressure from the world and you feel pressure from the people that attend the church sometimes. Let's be more pragmatic. Let's back off of these strong stands. Let's don't teach Jesus is the only way. Let's be open to new ideas and all of those things. You're always as elders guarding the doors from those who would want to undermine the truthfulness of God's word. And we commit that to you. The best we can, we don't do it perfectly, but we will continue to proclaim the unalterated Word of God, just like has been done in this church for the past 50 years. And it hasn't always been perfect. I'm not making any such claim. 
But Grace Church matters because you can hear the word of God here, and that is what your soul needs more than anything else. I don't care what club you belong to or how much the world admires all that. It's not more important than this. It's because of our commitment to this book, by the way, that we're going to face persecution. We're going to face persecution and come under attack. There's those out there now who are trying to make it a crime to stand up in this pulpit and say, it is wrong to change your gender. And to say to them, that is an attack at the design and purposes of God for you to engage in such behavior. It is wrong for you to participate in homosexuality. And I say this as lovingly as I can. These are real struggles people have. I'm not minimizing that at all. But the point is, it is wrong. Not based on my opinion, based on the authority of the book. You will not hear that. in the world. Pastors in Canada, this is a reality for them. Listen to these guys in Canada. The Canadian Parliament has now passed Bill C-4 that makes it a crime to engage in any kind of conversion therapy which defines a practice, treatment, or service designed to change a person's sexual orientation to heterosexual, change a person's gender identity to cisgender, change a person's gender expression so that it conforms to the sex assigned to the person at birth. In other words, you can't say, any of, you can't say it's wrong to do that. You can't say it's wrong to make those changes. And the pastors of those churches in Canada, I'm sure their courts are going to try to figure this out, but the, the churches in Canada, as John MacArthur said recently, it will be against the law to preach, teach, or counsel according or regarding God's design for marriage and sexuality. Imagine that in a country like Canada, a major country, a major country in the Western world to our north, it's now a crime punishable by imprisonment to preach God's truth on human sexuality and power in the gospel to free people from sexual sin. God's word is so clear. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. God said that. I did not say that. And you did not say that. God said that. And people are being deceived to thinking they will inherit the kingdom of God. Based on the authority of God's word, they won't. Secondly, the church is the only place you're going to be, can be equipped to go through a crisis. Just talk to anybody in this church who's gone through a crisis in their life. The church is equipped to come alongside you in ways the world cannot do. Oh, the world can have its good meaning to do things to help you, but the world cannot give you the hope. Cannot say the things and speak truth into your life like those in the church can do because we have the truth. The church is equipped to come alongside you in the time of a crisis. That's why the church matters. Anytime anyone in this church who's been sick or that I know of been sick or hurting in some way or lost a child or lost a family member or any such thing, they have experienced the ministry of this church, people coming alongside. Many have commented to me, they People, I sense people are praying for me. The, the passage that comes to mind on this 
The passage that comes to mind on this is 2 Corinthians 1. Turn there just for a moment. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Paul says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us all in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. You get all that? I am able to comfort others because I've been comforted by God. The same comfort that God has comforted me with, I'm able to extend to others. We all go through crises. We all go through trials. This is not abnormal living. That's normal living to have trials. It's normal living to have suffering in a fallen world. You know that? Sadness is part of a fallen world. That's normal. And we all experience that. And the church is the only place where people can come alongside you and give you true hope. People, those that don't know Christ, they can come alongside, no doubt, and do some nice things and things like that, but they cannot speak words of truth and words of hope. Because they don't have that hope. Unbelievers do not have that hope. Because they're apart from Christ. They don't have the word of God because it's the word of God that gives us that encouragement. It's the word of God that God digs deep into our hearts and comforts us with with truth. Only in the church you're going to hear that God is sovereign. Only in the church you're going to hear that God works through trials. Only in the church you're going to hear things like God wants to conform you to his image. He's got a purpose in everything. There are no wasted strokes in your life. God is providential. He controls everything that goes on. There are no loose atoms in the universe. He does everything to his own glory. I don't have the why of it all, but I do know what he's doing. I do know that. He is using to make me more like his son. He is doing it to bring glory to himself, to put himself on display as he sustains you and sustains me through those crises. And he uses the body of Christ to do that. It saddens me when people go through something and they don't have a church. It saddens me. They don't have anybody to bring them meals. It saddens me when they don't have anybody to come sit down with them and talk about death. Because the world doesn't want to talk about death. It's too uncomfortable to talk about death. And that may be the biggest thing on your mind at that moment. And they won't talk about that. It's because we have hope in death. We have hope in death. It's sad to talk about. It hurts to talk about it. It's a horrible thing to be separated from a loved one, but we can talk about it because because we know Jesus. (laughs) You know something? He conquered death. Death death does not have the last word on us. I said that at Libby Gray's uh, memorial service the other day. Not memorial, but at uh, at the graveside. I said "This this grave is not the victor here. We were lowering this, no, the victory was won by Christ. The world can't tell you that. The world doesn't know. Only the local church. Why does Grace Church matter? Why does any true church matter? True local church matter because they know how to help you in the time of a crisis. 
They know how to come alongside you in the time of a crisis that the world does not know. In one of my many hospital stays, I have been benefited from this church in so many ways. Anne and I have been so encouraged. And we're just one part of it. To hear people talk about the promises of God. Christ tells us to cast all our anxieties on Him. (laughs) Because He cares for us. Christ says, I will never leave you or forsake you. My grace is sufficient for you. My goodness. Those are from God. Those are not from the world. Only the church can we get hope and grief. The church is important because there's no other organization on the planet that can speak with authority and there's no other organization on the planet that can really help you, truly help you in times of crisis. Secondly, the church is the only place you're told to resolve conflicts. You're not going to like this one. You're not going to like this one, but just hang in there. But this is true. The world will not tell you to do this. The church is the only place where you are told to not move away from people, but to move towards people. Where you are told not to talk about people, but talk to people about conflicts. The world does not know, does not know what to do with a conflict, to get to the root issue of a conflict. They know how to cover it up, and they know how to go along to get along. They know how to do that. But everybody has conflicts. Paul says in Titus 3.3, For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedience, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. Those are conflicts that we have with people. We get angry at people and get hurt by people, betrayed by people, all kinds of conflicts. Mature believers have conflicts. Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 through 4, Paul had two women in that church, uh, Uadiah and Syntyche. He says, live in harmony in the Lord. These are two mature women in the church. He's telling them to live in harmony. To help these two women, he tells his true companion, he says, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel. These women had done a lot in helping Paul in spreading the gospel. And here these women are having a conflict with each other. It happens. It happens. It says, help these women resolve that conflict. And you and the rest of my fellow workers help these women. Their names are in the book of life, but help these women. So we all have conflicts. We all have conflicts. Is there anything to be done about a conflict? I just did a whole three weeks of this in equipping class on Sunday mornings. But let me just give you some highlights to that because the Bible does tell us how to reconcile conflicts. When there's a conflict, and these are just, there's a lot of questions you're going to have from details. What if this and that? I get it. I can't say it all in this short time. But this is what the church would say. This is what the Bible would say. In every conflict you have, just be honest with the other party. 
approach the other party. Go to them. Don't talk about them. Don't gossip about them. Just go to them. Go to them. That's a revolutionary thought, really, because we tend not to go to them. We go to everybody else about them. But go to them. As your brother or sister, I'm talking about between Christians now. Between Christians, your brother or sister in Christ, you go to them. The Bible always has us moving toward one another, never away from one another, preserving the unity of the body, the unity that he has created. We are to preserve that. We are to go. Ephesians 4.25, therefore laying aside all falsehood, speak truth each one of you to his neighbor. We are members of one another. Sometimes people don't know that they have hurt you. They're not mind readers. Go to them. Go to them. Sometimes we think, well, let's just go away. I'm not going to say anything. Now, there are times when love covers a multitude of sins and you don't need to say something. But the point is, if it's something that's truly bothering you and brings about some kind of division between you and another person, don't give Satan an opportunity by saying, oh, it doesn't matter. It does matter. You don't want to give him an opportunity to, to harden your heart and become bitter. At that point, you are in sin, my friends, when you allow your hearts to be hardened and bittered embittered I don't care what they've done to you now you have let their sin cause you to sin you don't want to become a bitter and nasty person I pray that all the time God do not let me die a bitter old man because I didn't deal with conflicts there's a lot of bitter old men and a lot of bitter old women because they never dealt with conflicts they said, I didn't go talk to him because I thought, well, it'll just hurt them if I say something to them and, and, uh, or it would just make the problem worse. No, let me tell you something. Hurting is not the same as harming. You got it? Hurting is not the same as harming. You're not harming them. Oh, you might hurt them, yes. Your doctor hurts you sometimes to get you well, doesn't he? Of course. Harming is one thing. Hurting is something else. Yes, it may be a hurtful conversation, but you're not going there to harm anybody. You're going there to help. You're going there because you want to bring glory to God. And you want to be obedient to God. And you may hurt somebody by bringing it up, but you must go to them and speak the truth in love. You must love enough to go to them. When you don't go to them because of some self-protective motivation, that's not loving them, that's loving yourself. Proverbs 27.6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Basically means only a true friend will tell you what you need to hear. That's the point. Only a true friend will tell you what you need to hear. Love them because, love them enough so you can help correct if there's there's a sin that you're helping them to correct something. That's what pleases God. In Matthew 7, 3, there's a good good point there. Why Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? I mean, you always want to look at yourself first. You always want to deal with sin in your own heart before you go and try to help somebody take the speck out of their eye. You want to go through that delicate process, painful process of dealing with sin you are committing or harboring. 
Maybe you've, already, maybe you've let their behavior cause you to sin, and maybe you need to get that right before you go to them. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly. It will make you humble to deal with your own sin first. And that is the attitude you want to have, not a self-righteous attitude. Before you address some minor sin in someone else's life, get the sin out of your own life. Not blaming the other person. Not saying anything like that. Just deal with your own sin. Second thing, second, second step would be to the person who is being spoken, who, who, the, the person who is doing the, the, excuse me, the person who has been spoken to, if that's you, and that if someone comes to you, it is your responsibility to face the accusation, to consider if it's merited, has merits. When David confronted Nathan, Nathan, David cried out in sin, God, I have sinned. God, I have sinned against you and you only. God, cleanse my heart. My sin is ever before me. David does what every believer should do when confronted about something they've done to hurt somebody else or some sin they've committed. God, you're right, I'm wrong. That's confession, that's confession. Agreeing with God, God, you're right, I'm wrong. God, you're right when you say I'm a sinner. When you say I was conceived in sin, when you say I was coming to this world with a sinful heart, God, you are exactly right. God, I am a depraved heart. You're right. I'm wrong. You confess your sin to that person, but you confess that sin to God. Because if you're ever going to restore a relationship, then you have to go and ask that person to forgive you. You don't blame, you don't justify, you don't rationalize. You say, I have sinned, and this is what I did. And you humble yourself. When you have been confronted, and that's you, and you consider the merits of that accusation, and, and it's true, and then you need to seek forgiveness from God and seek forgiveness from that person. This is not an easy thing, folks, I know. But it's necessary in a church that matters because of the unity of the body and the fellowship. And then the person who has been offended, it must extend for must be given the opportunity to extend forgiveness by you asking them. Ephesians 4:32, that person must recognize that just as God has Christ has forgiven you, you need to forgive also. We are to forgive. God says you're to extend it. If you have someone ask you for it, you're to extend that forgiveness. If you've been bothered, as they come to you and say, forgive me for doing this, he says, don't say it's no big deal. It is a big deal. It is a big deal. It was something. That's why they're asking you. You extend forgiveness. No matter how bad they treated you. Because you need to stop for a moment and just think about how much you have sinned against God. You need to be like the guy in Luke 18 who, who 
the landowner, the wealthy guy, forgave him for this huge debt that he could never pay in a lifetime and longer. And, but that landowner forgave the guy's debt. And then that very same guy that was forgiven all that debt, he goes over here to his friend who owes him a three-month wage thing, and he won't forgive him for that. In other words, he was forgiven, but he would not extend forgiveness. If we have been shown forgiveness, we forgive. If you have been shown mercy, you show mercy. And listen, those who are unwilling to forgive others, I have to ask you, do you really think you're a Christian? Do you really think you're a Christian that has experienced forgiveness from God? Do you really think that you could be forgiven for so much and then turn right around and not forgive somebody else? Do you not think there's a disconnect there? That's what Jesus is saying there. Just as you have been forgiven, forgive. It's an act of your will. It doesn't mean you forget. It doesn't mean you forget. God doesn't have amnesia about all my sin. It's just that God doesn't hold it against me anymore. He doesn't ever bring it up anymore. He doesn't talk behind my back anymore to the angels or anybody else about me. It's not. No, it's over. It's forgiven. It's forgiven. As far as the east is from the west. I think many professing Christians... Maybe they not be real Christians. They're just professing only. They don't truly possess Christ and don't truly know the forgiveness that he extends because once you know that, you just say, whoa, I gotta forgive. I gotta forgive. It's critical. It's critical. It's critical. It's more, you know what? It's more important than taking communion. It's more important than coming to church to worship. What does Matthew 5.23 says? If you are, if, if, therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar and remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering and go to your brother. Go to your brother. It's more important than any act of worship you can do is to resolve a conflict or an issue with your brother or sister in Christ. In this fourth point, I'll be brief. It's in the church. Why does Grace Church matter? We're taught to resolve conflict. We're taught to always be moving toward one another because we're going to preserve the unity of the body. That's what it's all about, glorifying Christ with the unity. Secondly, it's, it's, we, we want, it's the only place where the authoritative word of God is, is taught, and it's the only place you can be helped in a crisis. And the final one is, it's the only place that tells you not to serve yourself, but serve others. Most of the time you join an organization for what you can get out of it. You go join this organization because, oh, it's going to look good on my resume, wow. Or make connections, wow. Or it's just a good, you know, I just like the things they do and the activities they do, and I just all about what I get out of it. That's not the case with the church. That's not the case with the church. You don't come here to be served. You come to serve. You come to minister to others. And God has given you a spiritual gift to do that with. You don't just come to sit on the fringes and be a spectator. You come to serve. Our biggest problem is we want to live for ourselves. Our biggest problem the disposition of every heart in this room is selfishness, self-absorption. That's my heart. 
That's your heart. That's everybody's disposition. I want what I want. I want to please me, and I want you to please me, and I want everybody around me to please me, and I want everything to be pleasing to me. 2 Corinthians 5, 9, Therefore we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. 2 Corinthians 5, 15, get this, He died for all so that they who might live no longer for themselves, but for him. You get that? He, he saved you to free you from your love for yourself. To live not for yourself, but to live for him. We live in a world that wants to do it its way. And you talk about conflicts, we just talked about, this is the source of conflicts right here. I want what I want. I covet. I want. And you don't want what I want. Therefore, we have a conflict. But we come to the body of Christ not to be selfish and self-absorbed and think the whole universe revolves around us and everyone should serve us and the pastor should serve us and the pastor should be all about serving. Man, I want to, you know something? We got four elders. We need more, I want to say this tonight, we need more elders because there's too many people in this church. But the point is, I'm not making with that is all of you need to be ministering to everybody because we can't do it all. We just can't get around. I spent my whole week trying to go through my list of people I'm trying to make contact with. And Doug and Ben and Charlie do the same thing, and we can't do it. But that just reminds me that it's not just my job, it's everybody's job. It's everybody's job. First Peter 4.10 says, As each one has received a special gift, employing it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If you speak, then speak the utterances of God. If you serve, do as one who is serving, do it with the strength that God supplies. Giving all of the gifts of the Spirit, you do it all to the glory of God. He has equipped us to do that. He has brought us together. He's brought us together so that God may be glorified. No organization is going to tell you this message. If you join an organization, it's about you and how to keep you happy in that organization and how you keep supporting it and giving money to it and all of that kind of stuff. That is not the church. And this is the only place on the planet you're going to hear this. It's not about you. And it's not about me. It's for God to be glorified. He tells us to serve and he equips us to serve. The Son of Man came to serve, not to be ministered unto. And that is our example. Well, world, the flesh and the devil are all after us as a church. We stand on God's word. We seek to have unity in the body. We seek to be a place where people are ministered to in times of crisis. We seek to work through conflicts. I'm sure the list could go on all, after, all day if I spent more time on this, but this is enough to convict us <laughs> and also to send us into 2022. And tonight I want to share some reflections because we've had a lot of really neat things happen this past year and we have some things to anticipate in the coming year. But we want to know how to conduct ourselves in the household of God.
And this is the place, this is the household of God. And there's no place like it. And it needs to be a priority to you because it's a priority to God. If you want to line your priorities up with him, then you just know the local church is number one. He didn't die for any angels. He died for his church, the called out ones of God. Father, we thank you for this time today. We thank you for your truth, your word. It's our heart to glorify you as a church as we come into another year, as we just think about, God, what we want to be for your glory, what we want to do for your glory. We're so blessed. we got so many new people walking through our door. we already got 12 more people signed up for a new members class. And, God, we just overwhelmed with that. But, Father, we're thankful as well for the opportunities you give us. And we just love you. And thank you for truth. In Jesus' name, amen.